and welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, 92.7 FM on your dial. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. These podcasts are also available on iTunes. And every Thursday, a smallish crowd of local pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, uh, Elmer and Hunter in Peterborough at five for an informal discussion of uh, all things political. Everyone's welcome. Please join us. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me today is Jim Russell, who's running in Town Ward. Welcome, Jim. Happy to be here, Bill. I'm looking forward to my pint and certainly our discussion about politics. <laughs> yes. Well, we won't be. We don't do pints in the radio, but pints do happen occasionally. So, Jim, why are you running? Well, Bill, like lots of people, lots of your listeners, like yourself even, I just adore this city. I completely adore this city. I think it's the gem of the promise. I completely disagree with the rating that came out today that we're 212th place that's best to live in in Canada. I think we're one of the finest cities in the country to be living in for a whole bunch of reasons. Partly our diversity, partly our closeness to nature, but partly the quality of the people and the capacity to transform ourselves. And I want to be part of those conversations that are going to influence how this city grows and how this city shapes itself and how this city improves. I also come from a background, a political background in the sense of where politicians, political leaders in particular, were revered in the house that I grew up in. I grew up in a fairly... That sounds like an exception. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going back to the 60s and the 70s now, Bill, right? And I grew up in a fairly fairly left-wing house, you know, very liberal, very labor, and, and uh, you, you know, would be on the hunt for the odd red Tory that might rear its head during a campaign. But by and large, I grew up in a house that was focused on working families and working class issues, fairness, and, and saw the importance of political leadership when it came to dinner tables. Political leadership shapes dinner tables and the way families can come together by virtue of public policy. And so I, from a very young age, would watch leadership conventions of all parties. Mm -hmm. I would debate the speeches from the Friday night. I would follow the drama on the Saturday as the votes unfolded. And I've found it very, very compelling. I also think it's an extension of the work that I've done in the last 30 years. And I'm really excited about lending my voice and my ability to shape discourse around our council table. Well, that's fascinating. Now, in terms of the campaign, could you just go into a bit of a, what you bring to the campaign, particularly in relationship to your, your background, your your um, your professional work? Now, I know you, of course, uh, through my own volunteer work with United Way, but for people who are, are new to Peterborough or don't know, could you just flesh, flesh out your background, what you bring? Sure. Well, I mean, for folks that don't know, I mean, my educational background is I have a bachelor's degree in social work from, the, from Ryerson, and I have a master's of social social work from the University of Toronto, and I've been in the social services field for 30 plus years, in ranging in issues from hunger, I worked in food banks, I've worked for the Action Research Foundation, and certainly most recently people would know me in Peterborough uh, as a CEO of the United Way. And so I think I bring a deep understanding of the issues that affect individuals and families, and issues that affect society, in particular the income spread in our community, uh, not just Peterborough, but in our community is a concern 
concern for everybody and not just people on the left of the spectrum. It's also a concern for people on the right yeah. of the spectrum. We need people to have more money in their pockets. We need people to be well housed. We need people to have nutritious food. And that actually adds not only to well-being of individuals, but well-being of communities. And indeed, it drives GDP. And so I think I bring a sense of both the individual and the global when it comes to social policy issues. And I got about 10 years, 15 years left of leadership in me, Bill. I'm of an age <laughs> and a vintage. And I want to leave it all on the field to stretch a sports sure. metaphor. And I think this is an extension of the work I do during the day. And I actually like the idea of being unfettered by what I have to do at work and constrain myself around social issues and speaking out. And I think I can speak out more independently uh, sitting around a council table. And I look forward to being able to do that. Okay, now in terms of you running here in town ward, uh, one thing that makes some, well, many town ward residents livid is when they hear this uh, blanket judgment from people who quite often don't live in town ward say, well, I don't go downtown on George Street. It's dirty and I don't feel safe. Now, what, <laughs> as a town ward, potential town ward councillor, how do you respond to that? I, I don't get it. I mean, I, I really yeah. don't get it. And I, you know, I come from a big city. I come from Toronto. And so maybe I'm mm -hmm. immune to some of the things that people are, are saying. Our downtown is spectacular. I mean, you look at the culinary renaissance that's gone on, the epicurial renaissance that's gone on in our downtown in the last just seven years since I've been here, you know, let alone the last 30 years. It's been completely transformative. You look at the work of the DBIA and Terry Guile and his team in terms of driving foot traffic downtown. You look at the festivals that we're having, whether it's a Pulse Festival, whether it's a Hootenanny on, on Hunter that's coming up, uh, whether it's, it's Rib Fest, those are all reasons to come down town when you talk about safety and here's a big thing that i'm going to be focusing on as i talk to people at the doors we don't need more police boots on the street what we need is more regular people's eyes on the street we need more animation on the street we need more patios on the street and that indeed will have a normative impact on folks and we also need to understand that poverty and mental illness are complicated issues and they require a community response to it and a compassionate response to it. And so one of the things in my day job that I'm excited about is that we help to sponsor a partnership with the DBIA in the warming room where they're working with folks that were homeless in order to work to have jobs. You know, they're quote unquote euphemistically called the clean team. And they're going, they're deeply supported by people. They're helping to clean up the streets. They're helping to socialize people on the streets. And that's a fantastic response that isn't as heavy handed as people thinking let's have more police down there let's have better lighting let's make sure the streets are clean but more importantly let's sh make sure we're creating opportunities for people to gather and i think if we create opportunities for people to gather then they will look at what people did in response to the shooting on the danforth most recently they're going to show up in droves for the danforth festival to demonstrate their love of downtown and to overcome their fear and so what i would say to people individually is come come have a coffee with me come walk around with me come show me what you're scared of and let's let's understand that Again, poverty and mental health and addiction are serious problems that require community response, but it's no reason to stay away from our downtown. Now, of course, unbundling this, taking all the wrappers off, what eventually comes out in these conversations, well, I don't like going downtown, I feel it's dirty, it's unsafe, etc., is panhandling. 
that seems to be the hot button. What's the fix for panhandling, or is there a fix? There's there's laws against it, and so you know people can choose to enforce the law. They can choose to walk by. I'm indiscriminate in, in my own choices about who I give money to and who I don't. I have two or three people that I now have a bit of a relationship with, and when I understand their stories, I mean these are folks that are on low incomes but are very very decent, very gentle. I mean the ones that I've come into, and in terms of aggressive panhandling in terms of stuff that's buttressing up against being assaultive behavior there's legal responses to that and there's police responses to that but i think again you know we have to separate out the exception from the rule and the norm and those those are some responses i think there's a larger societal context we have to understand which is there's not enough support for folks that have mental mental health issues or addiction issues and that needs to be worked on and again i think one of the things that the new police chief who's come to Peterborough comes from as a background of his police officers in Toronto being deeply trained in how to deal with mental health cases and how to manage that. And indeed that's building on Murray Rod's work, you know, the, the prior chief at the time. So I think we have to continue to see that as a, as a shared response. And again, I think, you know, and I'm going on about this issue, but as we begin to unpack our shared understanding of mental health, as we begin to not have so much stigma attached to it, I think there's a way that again, we can, we can be dealing with it. And I come back to my idea of animating streets and creating places where people congregate, that's going to have a normative impact as well on people that may be suffering. Now, in terms of other issues you think you're going to be hearing at the doors as you canvass, what what are you sensing? What are the, how shall we say, the top two, three hot button issues that people are going to really stop you at the door and want to talk about? Do you have any sense what those might sure. be? I think it's a bad time to be an incumbent, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I think it's a bad time to yeah, be an yeah. incumbent. Yeah. I think people are dying for anyone to, cha- to run. Right. They want change at council. I think people are tired of the number of six to five votes that happened. And not that that in and of itself is a bad thing, but it's been the same six and the same five. And the one thing that people appreciate or hope for in their municipal politics is that it's not partisan, that it's not liberal or it's not conservative or it's not NDP. But in fact, we've had a party politics system at our city council and it's the party of five and it's the party of six. And I think that's maddening for people. It's certainly maddening for me. It's certainly one of the things that incented me to run and bring my voice uh, to the table to see if there's a way that we can listen better and then lead around issues, which is the catchphrase for my campaign, listen, then lead. But I really do believe that. And I think there's been too much entrenchment in the last four years. And I think people are looking for deep, deep change in the uh, in the upcoming council and election. What other issues do you think you're going to be hearing about top of mind? You know, we've talked about the, the partisanship and the, the Team 6 versus Team 5. What else do you think you're going to be hearing at the doors? Well, I think it's very simple stuff as well, Bill. People experience their city in the four square blocks around them. You know, it's not the iconic when i think of the city where i grew up in in toronto Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't the cn tower it wasn't maple leaf gardens it wasn't lake ontario all iconic you know and when i think of peterborough it's not just lily lake it's not just it's not or little lake it's not just uh, the clock tower you know it's the four square blocks in and around their front porch and that's community and that's city for people and so 
I think it's infrastructure. I think mm-hmm. it's potholes. I can walk you up Lock Street right now and show you the potholes that need to be filled. I can walk you over to, I can walk you over to Lansdowne and George and show you how dangerous it is for children to cross to the water park. And so I really think it's about are my community is my community around me safe? Is it being taken care of? Are my parks being taken care of? So I think it's simple stuff. Is it well lit? And I think, you know, we want, again, in the same way that we want to see animation downtown, we want to see animation on our streets. You know what I miss? What I miss is seeing ball hockey games on streets. I grew up where people played on streets, you know, and obviously there's other parks and places to play, and certainly we're not going to have them on every street here, but there should be a freedom to do that. And I think we do that by being more on our front porches than on our back porches. And certainly part of that is is making sure that our infrastructure in place. I also think people are concerned about jobs. I think uh, jobs in particular for young people. Young people are coming but forced to leave because there's not good jobs. That's why I think it's exciting to have things like Venture North and the Innovation Cluster because they're really working hard on trying to incubate new kinds of industry and new kinds of businesses and hoping to entice entrepreneurs to Peterborough. And so I think we need to be seen as a destination place for new economies and new kinds of entrepreneurship. And indeed, there's a lot of work that's going on to encourage that. And I, and then I think finally, people want to have a sense that they can trust their elected officials, you know, to have their voice in mind. And so for me, on my campaign, one of the things I was shocked to find out about is that we don't have any mechanism at a city uh, level to create resident associations or neighborhood associations. And so what I would like to do is to drive some activity and some budgeting process around how do we create those voices in our communities, in our neighborhoods, that really do influence what councillors may choose to do and choose to vote on it at council. And so I think we need to democratize the process a bit more and do that through resident and neighborhood associations. Well, that's interesting because uh, certainly a big interest Growing interest, I should say, is in the whole area of uh, civic engagement. Like, how can the city engage with citizens in, in a more participatory way? I mean, right now we vote every four years, and the more obstreperous of us uh, sometimes right, raise up on our hind legs and strut off to council and make a deputation, a presentation for our seven minutes. And what else can the city do to make this more of a not only a shared process, but take advantage of all the, the talent that's in our community. Well, I think you couldn't be more right about that, Bill. I mean, I think, you know, seven minutes once a year, twice a year, five times a year in front of council isn't democracy. You know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's a veneer of democracy. It's what we have. And so I don't want to be too cynical, but it's not, it's not deep engagement. And I think if we want to be engaged with citizens outside of the once every four years at council, then I think we really have to be giving voice to citizen groups. We have to really structure our committees at the city level and maybe add more committees and really take those to heart when those recommendations come forward. You know, councillors aren't meant to have expertise in every single area that there is when it comes to running a corporation like a city. What they need to have is trust in those experts and those voices. And so how do we set up those mechanisms where they influence and have real decision-making power at a, at a council level so that a councillor knows that this has been vetted, it's not uh, partisan, but it's based on deep conversation and deep engagement. I think, you know, that was attempted in the last session or this session rather of council with the participatory budgeting process, but that really didn't get off 
the ground in a meaningful kind of way. And so I think we have to revisit what is it. And so part of the things that I'm going to be talking to people at doors is how do you want to be involved in? I don't remember getting a single newsletter in four years in this ward. Not a single newsletter. So I think the other piece is how do we keep people updated on what's going on at a local ward level? I literally don't remember getting a single newsletter. And so I think I would want to commit to whether it's quarterly or biannually, or obviously I'd have to look at budgets, but how do you inform people uh, around what's going on? If you duck and cover in between elections, well, you know, that's, a, that, that's not leadership. And I think people got to keep their constituents engaged throughout the process and throughout the tenure of a council. And I think part of that is constant communication. Okay. Now, without engaging in crystal ball analysis here, looking into the future, I I think it's safe to say that both of us could probably list, uh, certainly the fingers to one hand, uh, the major issues that will come to the next council. And uh, as you hope to be on it, where do you stand on things like the parkway? Now, PDI apparently uh, is now sold. There's a resistance movement to that. What other issues are on? Uh, where will the next hockey rink go? What about the annexation of industrial lands in the South End? And of course, overreaching in all of it is uh, the official plan review. So where do you stand on all those things? Well, let me start by saying in terms of the PDI stuff, I think utilities should always be in public hands. I think water and electricity need to always stay in the public realm. And and so whether that has a life at the next council table or not in terms of debate and discussion, I don't know. And to the degree to which your, your resistance becomes a, that you mentioned becomes an uprising bill in the next six weeks, I, I don't know. But on that issue, I, I think those things need to stay in public hands for sure. In terms of the parkway, I'm against it. I mean, I think for a whole bunch of reasons, partly because we don't know how useful cars are going to be 50 to 75 years from now. Why are we building something for something that may well be obsolete? People are worried about spending the 100 million or the 150 million on the parkway. I say let's triple that and spend 500 million on building public transportation, public transportation, dedicated public transportation that will last us for a century. I think that would be an exciting project to think about what might that look like if we had dedicated corridors, whether it's streetcars or electric streetcars or dedicated bus routes. That, I think, is a structure that could serve us for a long, long time. I don't hear that being talked about a lot, but for 75 years, the parkway has been argued about, and I don't want to argue about it for another four years. I certainly think in the meantime, we've got to figure out a way to move traffic around and i think it is a legitimate concern when people talk about the time it takes from someone in bridge north to get to the hospital in the event of an emergency i don't think that's a red herring i think people have timed it out it's eight minutes could be saved if the parkway was built but i think that problem could really be solved by other other initiatives by whether it's a dedicated ambulance that's constantly parked there whether it's uh helicoptering people in there's a way to solve that problem of that delay that may cause death and so i don't think it's a red herring i think it needs to be wrestled with and and discussed but i think building it now there just isn't an appetite and i'm not sure there's the the utility for it and i think there's a lot of things that are broken now and let's fix as i talked about earlier the infrastructure that's broken now because people need to be encouraged and enticed in particular businesses to coming coming to our city. And I think we need, in terms of intensification, we need to intensify the central core. On your point about the official plan, I think that's going to be the critical work of this next council. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be six months to a year before we see it. And I think if you go back to my 
whole idea of how do we engage citizens, I think what we have to do is ensure that there's mechanisms for deep consultation around the official plan, that there's sign-off at, at whether it's a neighborhood level or a ward level or, you know, however we want to parse that out. Public Health has come out with a wonderful document about considerations around building the official plan. I encourage all of your listeners to go and read it about how you build and sustain a healthy community through an official plan. And I think we've got to make sure that we adapt uh, and adopt uh, elements of that, those recommendations into our official plan building. And when we do, then let's be clear what the expectations are coming out and let's not be so quick to stray from it. So let's build up, you know, I don't know how many amendments there have been to our official plan. I'd be curious to hear about that, but I'd be very pleased if there was 50% less if we build this one, because that says to me, then we've built it right. Now, you and I have seen each other at Pete's Games. Where should the next main hockey arena go? Well, I'm running in town ward and I think it should be in town ward, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I also live across the street from it right now as we're sitting sitting, uh, sitting in my house, Bill, doing this interview. So, you know, it takes me 30 seconds to walk to the game, but I think it should be downtown. I think if we build a new arena, I think it needs to be, frankly, state-of-the-art. I think it, but I also think it needs to be multi-purpose. And I'd leave to see, I'd love to see it include mixed-use businesses, mixed-use housing, uh, some rent gear. I think we could build a structure downtown that, again, comes back to my idea of animating the downtown. Our waterfront could be second to none with some foresight and some thought around how to how to build that. And so I, I do think I do think we, we need to build a new arena, but we need to ensure that uh, we pay for the old one first. We repurpose it uh, in a way that's serving the community. Uh, but I think the, the potential that uh, a redevelopment, not just of the arena, but social housing, industrial park, shopping mall, strip malls, you know, that, that are boutique-y and, and inviting could really animate that central core that isn't just the DBIA, but the, 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 wider, the wider circle of the central core. I don't know that that's a priority for me, quite frankly. I don't know that's what people want to be happening right away, but when you ask specifically about that, that's my sense in terms of thinking 10 years, 15 years down the road, and I'd want a lot of private sector investment in that, not us to be on the line for all that cost. Now, a we, uh, topic we've touched on already, but I'd like to, to dig a bit deeper on this is the whole issue of, uh, I, I don't want to say just jobs, but careers for our young people. I'm told that if you take out Peterborough residents from the equation of all the young people who come to attend Fleming and Trent, only one or two percent beyond the residents wind up staying here. So how do we create more economic opportunity in the realm of in the area of employment? Well, there's only so much a municipality can do on that. And I'm not obfuscating when, when I say that, Bill, but I think, you know, this is the job creation is the responsibility of three tiers of government in particular. And I think, you know, the role we can play at a municipal level on that certainly is, is around reducing the red tape, reducing the red tape around people coming and setting up businesses, uh, being able to to be entrepreneurial in Peterborough. I'm excited by what's happening organically here, again with Venture North, again with the innovation cluster. I think that's that's Peterborough people coming together and saying we could be an incubator of great, great, you know, mid-sized jobs. And in fact, their model is quite interesting. They will shepherd a group or an idea or an entrepreneur to to the point of either being 10 employees or a million 
dollars in revenue and then spin them off. That's a fantastic mm. model of how do we take people in, help them build business acumen, help them focus on what they're best at, which is either creating an idea or being entrepreneurial, but not having to worry about other things like infrastructure, photocopying and office space and phones and, you know, hiring stuff. And and that's already happening in Peterborough. And I think what we're going to see is, and, and most of those jobs that have been incubated, you know, have stayed in Peterborough. So I think that's an example of how, how we do it. At a municipal level, I think certainly, uh, certainly, you know, we've got to get rid of the red tape. And then I think we've got to advocate at the other levels of government. And I think in particular, the Fed has to be pouring infrastructure money in here because there's lots of projects that we could be doing here. And that's what we need to be doing. Now, as you go uh, from door to door, you know, I would uh, I would buy you lunch. In fact, many lunches. If you didn't get a number of sort of na- worrying and nasty questions about taxes why what are you going to do about my taxes well i'm going to spend them (laughs) (laughs) and you want me to spend them uh well i've i've made a pledge certainly you'll see it in my campaign literature where i'm going to commit to make sure that taxes don't go up any more than the rate of inflation indeed below the rate of inflation i think that's prudent and it all but and i think and i was being a bit facetious before I don't think people resent paying taxes. I think people resent their money being wasted. And so what I'm going to do is ensure that we don't waste people's money. Now, another question I think you might hear something about at the doors is our pavement, both sidewalks and roads. What's the fix? I mean, Peterborough is sort of notorious. Come into Charlotte Street, you swear you're driving into Capus Casing. And we haven't been a logging town for 120 years. And yet the roads are really rough. And, you know, speak to anyone in a wheelchair, they will fill your ear about our sidewalks, how hard they're, they are to, to just wheel around on. So those old corduroy roads were hard on you, were they? (laughs) (laughs) During your mining, during your speculation days and commiscuming. Yeah. Bill, I got to tell you, I'm at a loss as well. Like, you know, I'm excited to see at least around me right now, the amount of construction that's happening on George and road pavement and repair. What I'd like to do is understand what is that cycle, you know? And I think, I think what might help people certainly not for me as a counselor, but for me just as, as a citizen, when does stuff get fixed? What's the schedule of stuff getting fixed? How do how is things prioritized one over the other? And I think that would be that would be helpful. And I don't know whether it's we're cutting back on materials or whether it's an engineering problem in terms of how we grade the roads. I really don't understand. I do think though, uh, and not to pivot back to an idea that I have, but the more intense and robust public transportation system we have the less strain on existing roads that we'll have and the more likelihood, if it's convenient, that people will will be using that and not walking on broken sidewalks and 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 driving over broken broken pavement. So I do think I think it's part of how do we build the official plan that we need to consider. I think it's a fair question. Okay, so just winding down here, are there any last core ideas you'd like uh, voters to keep in mind as they begin to uh, weigh their decisions. You know, we we are uh, closing down rapidly on uh, the first voting date, which is October 9th. Mm -hmm. Online voting starts Mm -hmm. October 9th. So that's not that far away. Mm -hmm. Any core ideas that uh, you want to leave people with? You know what I'd like to say to people is, you know, it's important to vote. 
it's important not to be cynical. We only had 45%, I think 45% turnout in the last municipal election. That means the vast majority aren't lending your voice, their voice to, to shaping this city. Don't, don't, don't be cynical. Please be hopeful. This election, more than any since I've been here, has a variety of people and a variety of diversity uh, running. I think that's exciting. Please don't be cynical. There's lots of reason to be excited to vote. And may, remember, you get to vote twice. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Jim Russell, for, for doing this. And best of luck in your campaign. Thanks very much, Bill.